Because um, what Paul does when he writes the letter um, to Pastor Timothy in the book of Ephesians, which is what I want to be dealing with in the Edge Nights in the future down the road. There will be other people coming in at different times. But what, what Paul does is Paul, the apostle, is in prison, and he writes a letter to Pastor Timothy, who is pastoring a church in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a town steeped in false religion. And when he writes the letter to Timothy, he's trying to tell Timothy, listen, Timothy, you're my son in spiritual terms. I'm going to tell you why things are so hard there. And I'm going to give you an explanation that's going to help you understand why it's so difficult. So um, I printed out for you the chapter that we're going to be reading tonight. So we're going to pick it up in chapter 1 real quick, and we're going to begin reading in verse 1. So you want to follow along with me now. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints, that's us, which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Jesus Christ. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to what he says. Blessed be the God and the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Where? Heavenly places. Okay, stay with me. According as he has chosen us in him. Now you've heard me quote that verse if you've gone to this church very long, over and over and over again. So listen again to that verse. According as he has chosen us, chosen us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Listen to what he says. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory and his grace, wherein he hath made us acceptable in the beloved. Stay with me a little farther. And whom you have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery. We're going to deal with the mystery tonight. The mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed where? In Jesus, okay? And then the last verse, then we're going to do two more verses, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in one all things, in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, even in him, whom we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things to the counsel of his will. Now, when he begins to talk about predestination things, he's talking about God's plan for them. A lot of people, some denominations believe you're in predestination, which means you're either God predestined you to be saved or you won't be saved, you know, and, and, but that's not what he's talking about. And so uh, in, a, in a moment, we're going to kind of address this issue, and I've given you these printed notes out because of the church at Ephesus, the letter was actually more likely written to the Gentile church because the people in Ephesus were mostly Gentiles. These weren't mostly converted Jews. This was a Gentile city. This you know the difference between Gentiles and Jews? That's if you're of the Jewish culture, you follow Hebrew culture, you were born a Hebrew, you, you serve in the temple, you go to the temple, you, know, you, you go to the synagogue, you're not a Gentile. Gentiles could follow anything they wanted. They didn't have the word of God. 
And so the background of Ephesus and the church there, Pastor Timothy, some scholars believe he had a half a million people under his opinion. Now, it wasn't just in Ephesus. It was his influence reached out that far, okay? And in Ephesus, the letter was actually more likely written to the Gentiles, like I've said. If you look in chapter 2, verse 1, now here's what I want to say to you tonight. I'm going to drop a little bit of a suggestion bomb. If you don't have your Bible with you, from here on, would you consider bringing your Bible? Okay? And, and, and I mean not just in any time you go to church, whether it's a Sunday or Wednesday, whenever it is, wherever it is, okay? Now, if you want to take it in leather, which is what I do, and electric. I have an electric Bible. How many of you have an electric Bible with you? Okay. What are you going to do when the power goes out? Okay? So. Okay, enough said. Okay. So Paul writes the letter to Pastor Timothy. The church is struggling with the spiritual issues of the goddess of Diana. Now, Diana was a, 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 a phallic symbol. If you don't know what phallic means, phallic means sexual symbol. And uh, a, a symbol to people, imagery. And she is a high-ranking principality and power in Ephesus. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about this tonight because so much of it has a connection with what's going on in our nation right now and in the world. And so the goddess of Diana, we're going to kind of deal with her history and her background. And she's a high-ranking principality in power. And so what's happening is Timothy communicates to Paul and says, why am I struggling? We're struggling so hard to keep people on track and keep them, once they're born again, how do we keep them walking in track? And they didn't have Bibles. The New Testament, for the most part, hadn't been collected and written. And so they didn't have any frame of reference. And so he begins to talk about and begins to teach about spiritual issues because they were primary issues. And there was a high-ranking spirit, I've already mentioned her, the goddess of Diana. Now, Diana was a symbol, a statue, an image of a goddess representing a demon, a very high-ranking. And if you remember, Paul speaks later in the book of all kinds of levels of, of, of spiritual evil. He talks about principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness, and heavenly places. High-ranking demons. Ephesus is full of the demonic. And the church is struggling with the demonic in the culture, just like the church in America is struggling with it, except they have nobody telling them, or I shouldn't say in a lot of cases, pastors and, 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 and teachers are pretty much staying with, you know, the, the safe side of the gospel rather than dragging people into spiritual issues and talking about the demonic. So we're going to deal with this again tonight. And last week, I, no, two weeks ago, right? Last time I was with you, when I put this up here, I got off track, okay? I apologize. I'm back on track, so let's go with the radar. So he begins to deal with principalities and powers. Now, in uh, um, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 21, watch what he says, okay? You have it on your paper. 
far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named. So he says the problem in Ephesus is the problem in America. It's not who's in the big white house or in any government agency. It's who are the people, who is the people and are the people looking to in spiritual terms. And he's talking to the believers because the high-ranking demonic entities are absolutely influencing the church in Ephesus, just like it's influencing the church in America. And so the principalities and powers, it's high-ranking rulers of darkness. And if you look, when you get a chance later on in chapter 6, matter of fact, I don't know, maybe did I give you chapter 6? That front screen isn't on. Okay, would you turn that one on, please, for me, so I don't have to turn around? For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness of this world. And so Ephesus has all of these principalities and powers as demonic entities, and they're not demons walking around openly. They're in people, and they're influencing people, okay? And so it's through their human ignorance and their lack of understanding of how important those principalities and powers are influencing this part of the church in Ephesus. I'm doing the same thing in America right now. They're not really, the church in America pretty much isn't paying attention to this. Wouldn't you say? They're, they're, they're really not paying attention to this. So really people go to church and they go to church to deal with this and help this. But they seldom go to church thinking about this. When this is number one, this is number two, and this is number three, but much of the church lives it in reverse. They live body, soul, and spirit. Your soul is your mind, your thinking process. And so Paul is writing to Pastor Timothy, and he's saying, listen, Tim, I know you're struggling, but listen to what he says in 2 Timothy 3.8. He says, now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, he's answering Timothy about the question. He's Timothy saying, why in the world are we struggling so much to get these people to walk out the word of God? And, he, and he's asking Paul for answers. Listen to Paul's answer. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds, reprobate concerning the faith. In other words, Paul says, here's your problem, Pastor Tim. There's people inside your churches that are more spiritual in the demonic than they are in the heavenly. And they're influencing you, and it says they're reprobate. They cause the church to be reprobate. The word reprobate means useless. In other words, they come to church, and they have church, and they have an experience with church. They go back in the world, and they have no influence in the world. That means they're worthless. And so Timothy's saying, I need these people to get on board. And it means, uh, uh, so reprobate means it's worthless. And he says they're of corrupt minds. In other words, they have wrong thinking. And here's what he says. Remember, I'm, I'm, I'm cutting fast through this for a reason. He says wrong thinking is they think this. Then they think this and never bother thinking about this because this is visible. This can be seen in how we act like this, but this is invisible. 
And so that's why Paul in the letter to Timothy mentions, remember, principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. He's talking about the demonic. He's talking about the demonic influence, the evil influence that is influencing the church. And so it's really important that Paul's letter to Timothy, as he struggles with the goddess Diana. Now, the goddess Diana is really important. You might say, well, what does this have to do with me? Hang on. Okay. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, here's your problem. Diana is controlling the people in your church. She has more influence on the believers than the Holy Spirit does. If you read the book, you listen to how Paul is brutal with Pastor Timothy. And Paul is telling Timothy that everything that is going on is a struggle with principalities and powers that are influencing the followers of Jesus. So why is it that so much of the church in America, and I'm not trying to put everybody down because I'm not a perfect Christian, you're not a perfect Christian, and this is not a perfect church. Can we all say amen to that? Go ahead. Okay, but we understand that this is the struggle that's going on right now. The struggle is not political. It is not economic. It is not social. The struggle we are in is a spiritual battle. That kind of get a rabbit trail here. But right now in this room, there are angelic forces around this property, on this property, guarding and watching out for the people of God. They didn't, they didn't understand the angelic. All they understood was the spiritual demonic. And so Paul tells Timothy, he says, you've got to get this struggle right. Now, here's the problem of what was going on in Ephesus and is going on in America, and it's the goddess, of Di goddess Diana. Now, Diana was an interesting figure because it's an image of a principality and power, a spiritual wickedness. And that spiritual wickedness is an imagery of Diana, which actually had a figure, um, and, and um, they had statues to her. And Diana represents Madonna. We all know who Madonna is? No, it's not the crazy lady that sings. Okay. Okay. That Di uh, and Diana was a goddess in Ephesus, and uh, she's called the bringer of light. And uh, the mother goddess, uh, here's where she comes from. She came from the Old Testament. She was in the Old Testament. And Diana is uh, the mother of Nimrod. And if you remember Nimrod, Nimrod, what did Nimrod build? Tower of Babel, okay? Now, this is very, very important because Nimrod was conceived by, as a matter of fact, you can even do it, the story is told that Nimrod is the, is the um, sexual image of his mother, Semiramis, who claimed to immaculately have conceived her son, who was an earthly god. Okay? Now, uh, she's called Mother Earth today. It's the goddess of Diana. 
And if you'll understand, in Paul's letter, he explains that when he says that uh, Diana, he says to Timothy, Diana is c controlling this issue because Diana is the goddess of the mother of Nimrod. Does anybody know who Nimrod is? Okay, who's Nimrod? The guy that built the Tower of Babel, right? Okay. Who is it that caused all the trouble that God had to call, bring division in the linguistics? It was the Tower of Babel. His mother was a sodomite. And as a sodomite in a sodomite culture, she claimed that she immaculately conceived her son. Sounding familiar? Okay. And so now she immaculately conceived her son in a sodomite culture, which everybody would say this is incredible. And so she claims that he's divine. And in the process, what she does is she claims that not only is he divine, but now he's a God on earth. And if you go through the Old Testament, you'll begin to see that Paul begins to unwind this before Timothy. Listen to what it says in Genesis. Um, I don't know. Media, did I give you Genesis 10? No, I didn't. Okay. I didn't give you 10. Okay. So Nimrod, Nimrod is the great-grandson of Noah. We all remember Noah? Okay, now, I know I'm throwing a bunch of history at you, but hang on. N Noah gets off the ark. His sons have sons. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Okay? Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham and Japheth. Oh, no, wait. Which, Susan, which one was it that didn't go weird. Was it Ham? I forget which one. Okay. One of the three sons of Noah stays faithful to God. We know that the boys did something to their father because one night Noah is drunk in his tent and they go into the tent and they find dad naked. That was Ham. Okay. Okay. So two of the boys, something goes wrong. When Noah sends his two sons out to populate the earth, Ham goes to populate the region we now call Palestine or Israel. Ham and Japheth spread out throughout the earth. Ham and Japheth are the origin of Semiramis. Semiramis has Nimrod, and Nimrod is the one that builds the Tower of Babel. God has to confuse things to the point that he confounds the languages, and as he confounds the languages, now what we have is we have a godly strain and an ungodly strain. And what happens is the two sons are the origin of orgies, and what we call now the Mother Earth. And if you go back and you study this, and I don't have the time to deal with this tonight because I'm trying to get us to the point to read this chapter. You understand that in all of history, what happens is the Babylonish people become an example 
an imagery, a foreshadow, if you will, a false foreshadow of a virgin birth, a son who dies and is resurrected. And she claims this because of something really weird. She claims this that one day she's walking by a dead tree stump. And suddenly as she's standing there, the tree stump sprouts life. And a tree, as she's watching, begins to grow out of a dead tree stump. And so what she does is she claims all of this that uh, uh, she, well, she becomes the origin of what we now know as Christmas. And in, now, I'm not against Christmas, okay? I'm not against Christmas. We decorate, we do Christmas. But the Christmas tree actually came from the imagery out of Semiramis and the rebirth of her son to worship the eternal image of eternal life. And so between Babylon and all the festivals that they held together, Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, here's the problem. You haven't schooled the people about this issue and the history of uh, false religion. And what you've done is you've allowed the people to fall into the mode where go to church, get blessed, make everything okay, I'm okay, you're okay, and don't worry about struggling against the world. And actually what begins to take place is Paul says to Timothy in chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19, holding the faith of a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. Much of the church in America right now is shipwrecked because she has no spiritual inclination. And she, she doesn't see life as primarily spiritual. And because of that, we're seeing, I believe we're going to see a move of God's Spirit again, a move of the person of the Holy Spirit. And when we read this chapter again, you're going to hear Paul go after this issue. And hopefully when you go from here tonight, you will read chapter 1 with a whole new uh, view and understanding because everything Paul deals with is about bringing down false religion. Everything that's coming out of the secular community right now is religious. Every single bit of it has a worship issue to it. Go look at everything they're doing, everything they're asking you to do, everything they're telling the culture to do. It has a spirit behind it. And so our war is not at the political level, even though politics has something to do with it. Our war, the weapons of our warfare are not what? But mighty to, to, mighty to God, remember the rest of the verse? The pulling down of strong of principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Principalities, powers, and spiritual wickedness. That's high-ranking demonic influence in government. Do you understand that what's going on in government is not, is not simply crazy people doing crazy things? It's spiritual. There's a spirit in the White House. Okay? And it's not a God spirit. 
That's why crazy things come out of them. So if you understand, and what we're going to read here in a minute, is we hear Paul saying, listen, all these things I've given you, this craziness, if you would go back, I would challenge you. I don't have the time. I can't. I've just thrown stuff at you. If you go back and begin to take the time to read in your Bible and study, you go back and you read Noah and you read what went on during that time in Genesis and throughout the Old Testament, you begin to see that, that evil began in the garden to form a counter image to God's plan of salvation. It's always been about what? A son being what? Come on. Born of a... It's always been about that. It's been from the garden a plan. And Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, you've got to understand, if you're going to change what's going on in America, you're going to change it spiritually. You're not going to change it politically, and you're not going to change it by more church attendance. You're going to change it by people getting filled with the Holy Ghost, getting saved and delivered and set free, getting set free from things of the world, and starting to live a spiritual life that is primarily spiritual. And so why is it that church today, we, people can just go to church, they can walk in and walk out and still be the same. I don't know about you, but Susan and I, we, we and I think you do too, you agree with us, I, I want something spiritual to happen to me. I want a revival. Now, I want a Holy Ghost for I don't want a revival where people just get saved. That's not enough. It's not enough that people get saved and go to church. I want people to get delivered from demonic influences. Now, can I go back to the circle that I lost last week? That's why I keep saying to you, your spiritual life is primary. And when you don't feed on the Word of God, you're not feeding your spirit. You're, you're feeding your, your mind. You're feeding your intellect. If you go to church and you don't look for spiritual encounter. How many Christians walk in the door and walk out the door and I see people almost every single Sunday. I'm at the front door. I go out the side door. I stand at the front door. I shake people's hand. And you can t I can tell. I I'm sorry. I can tell they're the same as when they came in. If you go to church and you don't plan on something being different, then go to church and stay there and make them leave the doors unlocked until something happens. Right? You become desperate for a move of God. You become passionate. So you understand, let's pick it up now. You got your pages? You're going to follow? And then I'm going to give you a chance to ask some questions. Let's start in, um, let's start in, let's start in verse 5, okay, where you've been ordained. Having predestined us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to his good pleasure of his will, in other words, what is God's will? That's what Paul says to Timothy. Timothy, start getting them into the will of God. Get them to surrender their will for God's will. Now listen to what he says. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us acceptable in the beloved. In other words, you get to the place where you understand you've been accepted by God, and you, he has a plan, he has a purpose for your life, and it's not for you to go to church. Okay? In whom you have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. In other words, he's done more than just forgive you. Verse 8, wherein he hath abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence, 
having made known unto us the mystery. What's the mystery? Christ in you. Jesus is in you. He's in you right now. The Holy Spirit is in you. The kingdom of God is inside you. Stop for a second. Close your eyes. Think about that. The kingdom is right there inside you. Listen to what he says. Verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in where? Heaven is on earth. Heaven has come to earth. It's right here. He's, he's saying, Timothy, get them focused on the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world will not rule them. The Washington, D.C. does not run your life. Agreed? Okay, you, you begin to think about that. Next time you watch the news, you won't freak out, okay? Okay, verse 11. In whom we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined or ordained before the foundation of the world. Remember, God brought you into this world. Your parents may have conceived you, but your, your spirit came from God. You were in the heart of God before the foundation of the world. And when you were in the heart of God before the foundation of the world, he had a plan for you. And his plan for you was to be a spiritual butt kicker. You're not in this world to go to church. If all you're going to do is go to church, you're never going to get anything done. Okay? Verse 13. In whom you have trusted after that you heard the word of truth, you heard it, the gospel of your salvation, you're saved, in whom also after that you believe you were sealed. Marked, stamped with what? The Holy Ghost. In other words, you got filled with the Holy Ghost and you pray in a heavenly prayer language and you understand that you are a weapon of the Spirit of God in this world and God's plan for you is to not just simply go to church. You are the church. Okay, you with me? Wherefore, I also... After I heard uh, of your faith in the Lord Jesus uh, and love unto all the saints, listen to what he says to him, cease not to give thanks of you making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of what? Wisdom. That's the word Sophia. That's deep understanding. How many believers, not saying you, how many believers just simply go to church and and go to a church and choose a church and go to the church. They like the music. They like the decor. They like the environment. They like the atmosphere. They like the campus. And they don't make the priority whether they get fed spiritually and challenged. If you go to this church and you aren't challenged by what you hear, there's something wrong. Okay. And, but how many people pick a church and they go to church because they, they want to be comforted? You should not come to church to be comforted. I'm going to get myself in trouble here. For the most part, you should not come to church to be comforted. You should come to church to be challenged, to grow, to do. Listen to what he's saying to Timothy. He's saying to Timothy, you read the scholars, they'll tell you. He's saying to Timothy, stop coddling them, Timothy. Stop worrying about Diana. 
She is not your problem. Because greater is he that is than he that is in the world. So watch what happens. Verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance, where? God has given you an inheritance. But do how many Christians really dare to find out what your inheritance is? God has given you a purpose. He has a plan for your life. He has gifts in your life. What are you gifting? What, what, what is your gift? What is, what is it you want? What is it you desire? Listen to what he says. What verse did I end on? 18? 19. And what is the exceeding greatness? Ooh, here we go. Greatness of his power where? To us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. In other words, you've been filled with the Holy Ghost for a reason. God didn't fill you with the Holy Ghost and giving you a heavenly prayer language just so you'd have the Holy Ghost in a heavenly prayer language. He, he gave that to you so you would understand that now this part of your life is the Holy Spirit driven and this part of your life runs this part of your life and runs this part of your life, not the other way around. That your spirit primary people. Now, you know what people say? That people will say, well, what kind of church do you go to? Well, we go to a such and such church. We go to one of those Spirit-filled churches? What does that mean? What does a Spirit-filled church? Yeah, uh, huh? <laughs> well, well, there you go. Okay. But, but what they say is, oh, you go to one of those churches and believe in all that Holy Ghost stuff. It's way deeper than that. Are you the church? You're the church. You're the church. You're the church. You're the church. You're, the church. You're a temple. You're the temple of the Holy Ghost. You've been filled with the Spirit of God. You are a divine, heavenly butt kicker. Yet where you go, the enemy gets out of your way. Unless you're ignorant out there. Oh, that's, that, that's on spiritual warfare. Okay, verse 20. Which he wrought in Christ, which he raised from the dead, set him in his own right hand in heavenly places. So where's Jesus? He's not right here. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Who's right here? The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. Now, I didn't say Jesus isn't in your life. Of course, Jesus is in your life in the sense. But Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. What does the Bible say he's doing? Interceding for who? Us. To do what? Make that primary. Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, put on your big boy panties and let's go. Okay? Let's go. Let's deal with this. Stop whining and griping and complaining about what's going on. Deal with the people and get them filled with the Spirit. Verse 21. Far above all principalities and powers of might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. In other words, he says, Timothy, you guys have the power, the person of the Holy Spirit. You're in charge. Stop letting Ephesus and Diana influence the people. Cast her out and tell the people, if you are going to be involved with Diana, you're out. Because there were Christians that were going to church and going to Temple of Diana. Paul basically says to Timothy, stop worrying about whether they'll keep attending church. And you just tell them, you don't do that. And you can't 
You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. Oh, that's tough. Verse 22, and hath put all things under his feet and given him to be the head of his, uh, the church, who is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. So in other words, Paul tells Timothy, get the people full of the Holy Spirit. Get the people out telling people everywhere and stop playing church. Get involved and do the thing. Listen, I'm telling you, I believe God, uh, I, I believe the Holy Spirit is poised to do something. And I'm going to say here, I believe that. You believe that? I believe you. And people say, well, wait a minute. Are you one of those churches that, that you like lay hands on people? Yep. Are you one of those churches where you lay hands on people and sometimes they fall down? Yep. Why do they fall down? Because they can't stand up. <laughs> what do you want? We're not pushing them. We're not knocking them down. People say, well, well, why do they have to fall down? I, you know what? I don't know why people fall down. Susan has her own opinion. <laughs> um, you can tell them here tonight. Um, yeah, but I, I think the power of God comes upon people. Some people go, oh, I fell down. No, I, I fell down on the floor. I don't care if you fell down. I want to know how you got up. If you didn't get up different, so what? It doesn't make any difference. The, the, the evidence of the move of the Holy Ghost isn't whether somebody falls down or gets weary. Okay? It's the evidence is whether you're different after it happens. And it comes by the laying on of hands. And Paul tells Timothy, son, you've got to turn up the volume on this issue and you've got to understand you're dealing with high-ranking principalities and powers and the goddess Diana has infiltrated your church and that's why you're having so much trouble. And you have coddled them and you have allowed them to sit in your church and compromise and wear their little phallic symbols and, 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 and read their Diana books while you preach the gospel to them. And he says, it's time for you to draw a line in the sand. Do you remember the first line that was drawn in the sand in the Bible? She does. She remembers. You know who drew it? Moses. Moses took his staff, drew a line in the sand to the people that were playing both sides of the fence with the world. Huh? That was a golden calf. Drew a line in the sand, and he said, okay, everybody that's for the kingdom understands you don't do this anymore. Come on this side of the line. A bunch of people came on this side of the line. He turns to the people on this side of the line, and you know what he said to them? He said, now you go kill those who won't come across. Now, I'm not purporting that we're going to commit murder. <laughs> okay? That's the Old Testament. <laughs> but today, it's time to draw a line in the sand about what we do about our spirituality, and there's no more compromise with the world. You can't flirt with the world. I, and I believe that that is the key to the revival that's coming. I believe there's a revival coming, and it's going to come, and it's not going to come through necessarily big fancy churches that have all the equipment and all the stuff and lots of numbers, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's lots of big fancy churches, big buildings, huge crowds that are knocking it alive for the kingdom. I'm just saying, you find a church that's got the Holy Ghost. And you find a church that wants the Holy Ghost. And you find a church that 
let the Holy Ghost do what the Holy Ghost wants to do. Boom. It's going to hit you like a train. Now, it's whether you want it. And that's what Paul says to Timothy. Now, I would challenge you and I encourage you tonight. I would challenge you that in the next 24 hours, you read the rest of the chapters after you've heard what I've just talked about and you listen to Paul tell Timothy, listen, son, it won't be long before I'm going to be dead. Paul's writing his letter to Timothy while he's in prison. In Rome, Paul knowing that he has a shot to tell Timothy. Paul knows it's going to lose his job. And Paul puts it on the line. I believe that's where the church in America is right now, and I believe that's an opportunity to show. We'll go on in the book of Ephesus, Ephesians rather, uh, the next time I'm with you. We'll pick it up in chapter 2 and won't do as much history, but we'll really go through what are the principalities, what are the powers, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places, what are the things that we're going to be dealing with, and how do we deal with them in terms of spiritual warfare, okay? Mic on. This is question and answer time. If you would stay, at least for now, on the subject, comments, questions, and answers. If one goes, everybody else starts coming. The first one's kind of like the sacrificial lamb, okay? <laughs> Hello. Oh, there we go. I okay. just got to get closer. So um, my only, it's really more of a comment, but um, that idea with Diana, which it is, it is, it was a prevalent, it goes back to, like you said, Babylon, right? Yep. And Another name for her was Ishtar as well. Which Ishtar. Was, she has multiple names. Yeah, and so uh, the idea that, uh, and, that uh, and you're hitting it right on the, on, the, on the nail that we've forgotten the things of the spiritual, right? And that the spiritual always affects the physical first. And so the spiritual, whatever's happening there, it's going to eventually affect us here in, in, yeah. in the physical. So why not be more receptive to the spiritual first? Mm -hmm. And so... When Paul is writing that idea of principalities, is literally bringing the awareness that there's things that are in higher, right? And when it goes back to, just like you said, in Babylon, um, when God confused and brought forth all these different languages, really, God allowed everyone to get dominated or, or, or literally split up by their own mm -hmm. uh, worshiping God that in they the were cultures, basically yeah. in the cultures. And that's really what abandoned everyone to the godly things really they just went to the to the false religions and and whatnot and so the cool part and, and if you read um what's the name of that book unseen realm there's an mm -hmm. awesome book right. he talks about how when jesus came on the scene right and the book of acts literally started bringing forth literally what they told the, all the disciples to do, which is to go to every part of the world and, and proclaim, you know, the name of God and, and yes. baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. That started creating the separation of the dark demonic because they had no place but to flee, really. When they would see mm -hmm. God's presence, they would run. 
and eventually, which is so cool, reading about the the the, the Temple of Diana, it literally becomes abandoned because there's no power there anymore yeah. because of what yeah. God did, which was literally brought deliverance to that church. Yeah. And so it's I, I love the fact that we need to do that now. I mean, there's a lot of idols that that most of us might not even realize we're putting up before God, and those things have to come down so we're not yeah. affected in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the body and in the soul. So. Good. Okay. Don't be bashful, you guys. There is the topic. I am on topic. Um, okay, I just wanted to say, uh, so can you just speak a little to uh, Psalms 82? Because that's... I haven't memorized yet, so what is Psalms 82? Psalms 82, uh, divine counsel, and where God is telling uh, his divine counsel that they're gods, but they will die. Because those, like he was talking about in 19.1, that all is tied in together as far as when Babel was disbanded all, and everybody went their different ways. Right. God assigned different principalities to be the rulers of those nations. And in Psalms 82, Basically, with God letting them know that their time was to come to end, and then when Jesus died, no, wait a minute. No, you made a statement that God assigned principalities. Yeah. No, yeah, he allowed I, it. Didn't assign it. Allowed, assigned. Yeah. Well, they. Well, that that's I a mean, big deal so because you're saying God like. I mean, no, it. I mean, well, God is sovereign, so I mean, assigned, allowed. Well, okay, you can you you can argue terms. But the I point mean, is, I mean, okay, I mean, God, I, is, God isn't say God doesn't say to a culture, hey, I'll, I'm going to give you this. Okay, no, okay, well, yeah, he allowed yeah, it then. Yeah. Okay, but um, he uh, he also explained that because they were not ruling the way that he mm -hmm. want, wanted them to. Yeah, they opened the door. Huh? They opened the door. The culture opened the door. No, um, okay. See, if a principality in power is ruling a culture, it's because the culture opened the door. The only way the principality in power can no longer rule the culture Go ahead, say what you're thinking. Don't shake your head. <laughs> I, I, I mean, honestly, I want to say in either it's Deuteronomy or Numbers where God says about the nations and that there will be principalities assigned to the numbers of nations. So God did kind of assign. Now, now we we'll have to go back and reread that. You and I will right, talk I'm about I'm that. I'm going to find it for you. Separate. Give me a separate. second. I'm going to find it for you, and then I'll, I'll give you the okay. verse. Um, because you, uh, God doesn't doesn't give evil permission. I, think it'll, I wanted to say something else, but I think I, this is terrible. It's not up. I think God allows it. Like Chicago is known for yes. violence. You have different areas in America where you can say God didn't assign a violent spirit to Chicago, but because of their behavior, Absolutely. that's a spirit that's inhabiting that. Is you that look at Las about? Vegas, they're known for yeah. what? You have different wicked cities in America that are known for certain things because that's the direction they went, and that's the spirit that ended up inhabiting them. But I wanted to say this. You know, you were talking about it earlier. I think what our challenge is in America right now with our culture is that we are not being a counterculture as much as we're being subculture right. a lot of times. And it's very hard to discern this because there are TV shows like Christian and you were talking. It's tough. 
And I'll admit it's tough. And I've had conversations with people about church. Like, we want to be a witness. We want sinners to come in. We'll stay in the front row seat. But are they going to take the position of leadership? No. And I've had conversations with people. It's like, yeah, but you'll let them sing on the worship team or you'll let them back be a greeter. It's like, what fellowship, Jesus asked, does light have with darkness? And so would Jesus have gone to the temple and said, I have this guy that belongs to the temple of Beelzebub, but they're going to be your greeter today. What would they have thought back then? They would have thought he was nuts. But yet there's a lot of churches, trust me, who go, well, we'll let them do certain things. I had someone last two weeks ago say, well, at least you'll let them teach in Sunday school. No, I don't want a priest from the temple Beelzebub teaching our kids in Sunday school. So it's a really tough line because how many of us watch shows on TV that have immoral people in them? I won't get specific, but they do. They're living together. They're having sex when they're not married. And matter of fact, I heard somebody say, I never, ever have watched this show, but the show called Friends, they said every single show, I don't know if they're right or not, has an episode of adultery or they're just jumping in the sack with one another. I don't know. But I know it was a real popular show. I imagine there are a lot of Christians that watched it, and they allowed that spirit and that influence in some way into their home. That's what I'm saying. So when we talk about, you know, this book of Ephesians and, you know, like how do we combat principalities and powers and wickedness right. in high places, well, I'd say one thing is you don't let it in your house because, again, you will allow that spirit and spirit in. Yeah. You, are, you and I determine where evil is in control. Humanity is. God gave man. You remember that God gave gave earth to man and said, you're in charge. You're in charge. And God won't take it back. He, he put the earth in charge. For now, the earth and what goes on in earth, the things that go on spiritually are under his divine mandate that man is in charge. Go ahead, Rick. Deuteronomy 32, 8. When the Most High assigned lands to the nations, when he divided up the human race, he established the boundaries of the peoples according to the numbers in his heavenly court. Yeah, but he's not talking about principalities and powers. He's talking about geography. No, but that's, he said, that's what I'm saying. He said he established the boundaries of the peoples according to the numbers in his heavenly court. So he, he did allow because he, he assigned them to rule, but they got greedy, and then they, that, that's the whole, okay, so he was talking about the, the unseen realm, and I'm just saying, I'm not saying that this is a theory of many scholars, is that that's what the divine counsel is about, that, and God is telling them in Psalms 82, are you, 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 you know what, what I'm talking about with Psalms 82? Mm-hmm. Okay, he's telling them in Psalms 82, that he assigned, he gave them the right to rule, but they did their own thing, and now they're going to die like men. The sons of God, you're, you were sons of God, but you will now die like men because you did not rule the way I basically told you to rule. So what's the, what's the catch here? What's the point? No, so I will, okay. Yeah. Yeah, because you got to remember, God gave... The, the charge of earth to Adam and Eve. Adam was in charge. But then they lost that. Well, no, they still have that authority. That's why God, if you look in what goes on in earth, 
God allows what man does to influence the spiritual environment. That's why I wrote the book, Commitment to Conquer. Oh, no, no, I, no, I, no, I'm not saying that we don't have the power to influence the yeah, spiritual Yeah, we, we establish what is spiritually going on in the region. Sin determines. Okay, I agree with that, but I think that was ties into what he was saying when Jesus gives the Great Commission. He's mm -hmm. like, I have been given all authority mm -hmm. over heaven and on earth. Mm -hmm. Therefore, go out into all nations, baptizing those in the name sure. of the Father. So he took the keys, so now he has the power, and he gave it to us through the power of the Holy Spirit to now go out and control these these these. these we have yeah. we have the power now to do it. Before before the coming of the Holy Spirit, they didn't have that power. So I'm I mean not, that th that's just sure the understanding I'm I have. No, like if you understand what I'm saying, that's the whole. Do you know who Michael Heiser is? No. Okay. Well, he. Let's, uh, so let's go back on this issue. So, yeah. wh what is your culminated in a sentence? What's your point? No. I, okay. Well, he brought up. He brought up the whole, you got, you're talking about the spiritual. <laughs> yeah, blame it on Christian. Way no, to go, no, Christian. I'm, I'm basically saying that I, about the whole situation with the Tower of Babel and everything. And, and Paul is, my understanding is that when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he was now, that was the culmination of God's great plan for us to take back and claim. Redeem. Redeem. Yeah. Yeah, redeem, absolutely. Redeem, redeem cultures. Yeah, redeem, exactly. Absolutely. Okay. So, yeah, that that, so that's why I wrote Commitment to Conquer, redeeming cultures, whether it's no matter what the culture is. But you have to remember, cultures are the byproduct of what happened at the Tower of Babel when people were scattered. They were scattered how? Language. So one guy speaking Spanish, another guy speaking French. You know, I mean, I, I wonder how that would have worked if we were there and I was speaking Spanish and you were speaking French. <laughs> anyway, so you understand that, but still the earth is under the management of man. God made a covenant with Adam and he said, Adam, you're in charge of earth. What goes on on earth is for now under your management. And until I intervene, and bring my son back and redemption, then this is a set and a fixed issue. Does that make sense? Okay, so so that's why I wrote, Susan and I wrote Commitment to Conquer. If you go back and you get the book and you read it, you'll understand why you end up in a specific region, why God wants you to do what you do in the community where you live. If you read Commitment to Conquer, You'll, you'll end up asking God whether you're supposed to live here or not. I hope he says yes. Okay. All right. Anybody else? After that discussion, you're afraid? <laughs> Seriously. That's it? All right. Okay. We got. Yeah. God, God's sovereign. Well, well, now wait a minute. Don't confuse them. God, God can do anything he wants to do. I have a great teaching for you. Here's the thing. The word sovereign appears nowhere 
in the Greek or Hebrew. It's not there. They took the new, the NIV took the word almighty and substituted the word sovereign because sovereign means that God can do anything he wants. And if God can do anything he wanted. Okay, in that sense, you're right. Everybody would be saved. He wishes that none be lost, and there's a lot of lost people because he gave man a free will. We'll talk tomorrow in my office. Which is the Adamic covenant. Don't point that finger at me. Simone. There are a lot he can't do. He can never go against his word. Yes. And so he is not sovereign. He is almighty. Yeah. He's at the top of the heap. I know, but you, until you explain that, the, words, the word sovereign to so many people means being able to do what he wants to do. It he means all-powerful, but he's not. No, he can't. Reggie, the Bible says that Jesus wishes that none be lost. How many people are lost? How many are right. sick? In that sense. And he wishes none be will. sick. That's true. That's correct. That's why he can't do whatever he wants. He, he handcuffed himself when he turned over the keys he to Adam and Eve. Right. He gave sovereign control to Adam and Eve. What we do, what you and I do, affects our life. Your choices and your decisions. God would want me to do something, but he cannot, by his own character, force me to do it. He can't make you get saved. He can't make you do anything. Now, he can set you up, but he can never manipulate you. God is not a manipulator. He'll give you a chance and give you an opportunity. Does Steve have a question? Oh, John. John, come on, girl. We got another couple minutes. Come on. I wanted to make this comment. Um, I can't think, what are they calling kids that are girls and they think they want to be boys? What are we Transgender. Calling? What? Transgender. Oh, transgender. Okay. I read uh, in a book where it said that this Diana, mm-hmm. you know, where she thought she was the mother Mm-hmm. And I guess the mom and the dad of Nimrod, mm-hmm. that this is just exactly the same spirit. Move over to the mic. There you go. This is exactly the same spirit that came. Mm-hmm. It, it comes from there. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. Absolutely. That this is not new at all. No. no. Not, none of what's going on is new. This is all old stuff in a new package. That's all it is. That's why so many Christians go, it's confusing. It's not confusing. If you get into this and you study this, you understand that you're seeing a reflection of this, of ancient of days. It's the same evil spirit. The devil is not a created being. He cannot create. He's going to work on the same plan. He has no capacity to do anything outside of what he's already been, uh, what he's already done before. He's very predictable. And he's not created. If you understand that he's not created and he's very predictable, it'll change how you view the world we're dealing with. Okay? Any other questions? Oh, Steve has a question. Uh-oh, here it comes. 
Yeah, one of the things I was thinking about with Ephesians, and I think you kind of hit on this a bit, but the overall theme of Ephesians is our being reconciled with God and unity with each other. That's where real power comes in, and I think that's why it ends in Ephesians chapter 6, talking about principalities and powers, because when we're in unity, it's much easier to fight against darkness because we have our brothers and sisters with us. The other thing is sovereign actually means that you're the highest power. So you can be sovereign as God and still have choice. So I think it kind of confirms what she's saying and what yeah. Reggie's saying. And uh, but I thought the teaching was really good, by the way, tonight. So yeah, yeah. thank you. Yeah, but I, I think you, you we try we go back in the in the Word and we find out what was God's plan. If you read, if you read the first three chapters of the Book of Genesis. And then you go read the book of Paul to Ephesus. And you read those two, you understand that there's nothing new under the sun. Absolutely nothing new. It's all right here. Every single bit of it. And it tells you how to deal with it. That's if, that's if you see this as primary and not this or this. It's, you know, the, what's ruling in the White House isn't a man. The Oval Office isn't in charge. It's the principalities and powers that move through that property and that White House that stage over our nation and seek to manipulate our nation can all be found back in the Garden of Eden. There's no new thing under the sun. And so we understand that when you're born again, you're born again from where? Where? Before the foundation of the world. Okay? Because your relationship with God is not a religion, it's a relationship. And that you have authority to speak to principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. And when you begin to realize that, you understand why you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, why you have a heavenly prayer language, why you should learn, if you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, that you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you don't have a heavenly prayer language, you get the heavenly prayer language. If you do have a heavenly prayer language, you read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and Paul's instructions to you to learn to interpret. If, if you have a heavenly prayer language, you pray in a heavenly prayer language, have you ever thought to listen to what you're saying? And then let God begin to speak to you. Now, if you're praying in the heavenly prayer language and you're thinking about buying a pizza, <laughs> now you're hungry. Thank you. You're hungry. You know. But and that's and if you read Paul's telling Pastor Timothy, get back to the spiritual issues, son. You've been dealing with a political environment and you've been letting Diana control the issues. What's going on in the Ephesus is not what's supposed to go on in the church. Greater is he that is in you, not he that is in Ephesus. Does that make sense? Read, read the book of Ephesians and you'll understand it all goes back to Genesis, the first three chapters. It's about spiritual conflict. 
So if you begin to say, you understand that right now, not to be your nuclear warrior, they're killers. They're angels. I know them as they're armed. And um, and I'll tell you something kind of weird. You, you're going to think this is kind of weird. That's okay. You know. Um, every time I come into this building, I come through the back door. Most of the time. 99% of the time, I come through that back door, and I always come through, and I know they're going to think I'm weird. There's an angel. I know right where he sits. And when I walk out to lock up the building, I always say, keep an eye on it. There are angels. I mean, I've been around that. You can feel their presence. Don't go looking for angels. Don't, don't, okay, don't go looking for angels. Okay. But my point is, you have an angel that's been put in charge of you. Watches out for you and protects you and makes you pay attention. And, and people go, well, you know, I, I want to talk to my angel. Don't talk to your angel. Talk to the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you and tell you what needs to be done. You want to add anything further? Okay. A whole bunch of plums. Oh, goodness. Okay. There's plums. And next week is is what? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Thank you. Next week is uh, what does an ex-Jehovah's Witness, ex-gay, an ex-Catholic, ex-homeless, and uh, black Muslim have in common. Muslim? What did I say? Yeah. What did I say? What, what word did I leave out? Oh. Muslim druggie. What's the difference between a druggy Muslim and a non-druggy Muslim? <laughs> one has drugs and the other one doesn't. Okay. Um, so, you know, we're going to pray here tonight. Oh. What? Oh, yeah, they're going to be here. <laughs> they're going to be here giving their testimonies. Okay? We'll talk about it Sunday morning. Do what? They're going to be ice cream? Oh, good. I'll be here for the ice cream. Okay, now, uh, do one last thing as we, as we close in prayer. Um, when you go to bed tonight, remember just to, just to say um, to the Lord, now, Holy Spirit, while I'm asleep, speak to me. And, um, and, I'll, t and I'll tell you this. I've got two minutes, so I'll, I'll tell you this. There are times when I actually, I've, I'm a side sleeper. I'm either on my right side or my left side. And there are times when I, I, when I sleep on my right side, I'm on the left side of the bed, okay? I'm on the left side of the bed, and I'll be on my left side, and I'll wake up in the middle of the night, and I'll, because I have a 75-year-old daughter, and uh, I'll wake up in the middle of the night, and I'll look around, and my angels are standing right there. And I don't talk to them. I don't engage them. If he engages me, um, I don't look for that. Don't you know? I'm just saying that's how real it really is, and um, the supernatural things begin to happen and take place in your life. And times when you sit down and you get quiet with the Lord, and if you don't journal, I highly recommend you start journaling. 
and you start writing, and you just sit down and write so he knows every morning, 5 a.m., it's mine. In my office, she's asleep, dogs are in bed, that's my time with God. And you sit down and you just stop there and you pray in the spirit and you say, what do you want? What do you want from me? Lord, what can I do today? How can I live my life? What, what, what can I do for you? And you begin to write what you hear. And you begin to let him begin to speak to you. And you begin to listen to him because he's always talking. We're not always listening, but he's always talking. And you listen to him. People say, well, now, wait a minute. People are going to start getting weary. Listen, they're already weary. Okay, let's get the good word. Get the real word. And so tonight when you go to bed, just tell the Holy Spirit, I'll, I'll, I'll roll over a lot of times and roll over my left side and just say, good night, Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of being here tonight in your word. We pray that you'd send us out into a world that's crazy, crazy, crazy out of control, and they don't even know why. They think it's a government. They think it's Biden. It's crazy in himself. Uh, but Lord, he's a soul. He's a lost, broken, wounded, depraved soul that you'd save him, heal him, set him free. Not because we need a born-again president, but because he's lost, and he needs Jesus. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, as Frank always says, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay.